Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the Walker Report Extra Podcast. You join us on the eve of an election, yet somehow Sunderland AFC have taken all the headlines today with the news that Aidan McGeady has been told he can leave the club in January and will be missing for Saturday's game. I did have a McDonald's today, absolutely on brand, in full support of Aidan and Chris. Um, to discuss Saturday's game though is Joe, who's a Blackpool fan. He's going to be discussing everything Blackpool and also the mammoth return of the man with no lips, Simon Grayson. How are you doing, Joe? Are you well? Um, excellent. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem at all, mate. Um, first and foremost, how's things been at Blackpool this season? Uh, absolutely chalk and cheese compared to the last <laughs> uh, seven years or so. Uh, finally got a bit of hope at the club. Uh, the Oyston family are long gone. The fans have returned. And uh, for once, we can focus on uh, actual footballing matters. Yeah, I mean... It's funny because obviously we've had chairman and, and there's a lot of discussion around our current one, either failure, unfairly, whatever it is that you do think. But I think there's very few clubs have had an owner at the level of the Oystens. And I think sometimes when you have an owner like the Oystens were, it does take things away from the football completely and it becomes almost like a a discussion about social stuff and just away completely from football. Um, how was that period when you had... I mean, were you one of the ones that stayed away? My last game at Bloomfield Road was the uh, final game of the 2012 season uh, at home to Burnley, where we won 4-0. Uh, our clubs have taken slightly different paths since then. Yeah. Uh, we got to the playoff final in the championship, lost to West Ham, and uh, I didn't go to a home game until the last season, the end of last season, when the Oysters left. Because it was, I was at Blackpool last season. Obviously, we had eight thousand fans down there because there was so much room for us. Truth be told, um, but there seemed to be more Blackpool fans outside than inside protesting it. But that was a that was a long protest. I mean, for the people who maybe don't know the ins and outs of what happened with the Oysters and, and are interested, how did that sort of begin manifest itself and then eventually become a thing of the past? Just be where you are now. Well, with myself, it was the case we we were. You know, I know that we're a small club, but not a massive club. Uh, we got to the Premier League. Uh, I didn't expect us to stay up. Uh, the problem was, if we spent a tiny bit of money in January, we probably would have stayed up. Yeah. Uh, I think we played you just before Christmas, uh, a game where we were unbelievably fortunate to beat you, despite you having about 
50 <laughs> shots on target that game. I do remember that um, game. At the, at the end of that game, we were eighth in the Premier League and six points off the top four. Uh, injuries, suspensions took its toll. Uh, we spent no money in January and ended up getting relegated by one point. Um, the next season, we lost key players, uh, people like Charlie Adam, uh, David Vaughan, who went for yourselves. David Vaughan, Jesus, um, a throwback. Yeah, cracking player. Yeah, I, like, I quite like him. Um, Hit and miss for us, but I like him for the fact that he pinged in a, a 30 or 12, 25 yarder against the, them lot up the road, and it's my most memorable <laughs> derby goal. So I do love David Vaughan. Ah, uh, Vaughan was a class player. Um, but yeah, we lost a lot of players, and uh, despite losing a lot of players, uh, we didn't spend much money. We still managed to get into the uh, championship playoff final. Um, that Kevin Phillips banging him in for us that season at the age of 39. The God that he is. <laughs> Absolute legend. Even at Blackpool, he's very highly uh, regarded. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we lost out to West Ham and uh, it kind of all fell apart after that. There was no spending of money despite having uh, millions of pounds of parachute payments. Uh, I grew sick of it. I got told I was uh, throwing my teddies out the pram just because we were in the Premier League. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. Um, relegation followed to League One. Uh, I think there was a game where we were on Sky. A fan held a newspaper, local newspaper from the Gazette, where uh, the Oysters are not liars. He blacked out the word not. It got on TV. And... Uh, he got sued by the Oysters, and he was one of the very first fans to get sued by the Oysters. And they went through a checking messages board on the internet and, and suing fans left, right, and centre. And I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back with a lot of fans: the fact that they were suing their own fans, suing basically their own customers. And uh, that, that's where the divide started. Really, a lot of fans from that point on started boycotting, uh, relegated to League Two. Even better, we ended up going down I think it was uh, from the Premier League to League 2 with around £90 million in the bank in the space of five years and I don't think it takes a uh, rocket scientist to work out where the money was <laughs> Yeah, because that was my that, that that was the kind of the end part was the end, the explanation sort of I was given, but it was was absolutely bizarre because what I, what I found crazy about the whole thing is how did they get in in the first place? Because there, as has been spoken about quite a bit, there's that fit and proper test, and obviously I think we can now quite evidently see their time at Blackpool was in no way, shape, size, or form fit or proper. Um, I mean, did the were you worried as soon as he came in or as soon as that family came in? Was the signs before anything even happened or was it just pretty much new ownership, see how it goes? Well, for me, I, I wasn't around yeah. when the uh, Oysters bought in. They bought in very, you know, I think it was late 80s. Yeah. Uh, Owen Oyston bought the club for a pound. Uh, I think he saved it. That's, that's the line that he always trotted out that... Uh, the club were close to going out of business. He saved the club for a pound. Very Steve Dale sounding that. Mm, yeah, exactly. Oh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Oh, there we go. You're back. I lost you for a minute. Sorry. It's all right. Oyston went to prison. Uh, he's convicted of a rape charge uh, yep. in the late 90s. Uh, his wife, uh, Vicky, took over. Uh, she got dog's abuse. So uh, uh, her son, Carl Oyston, took over. And... Uh, I think Simon Grayson, when he initially came in, got us promoted to a 
championship. Did okay there. Uh, he ended up leaving. Uh, walked out on us for his boyhood club leads. <laughs> and uh, that that led to uh, Ian Holloway coming and, and we managed to fluke our way to the uh, Premier League. With Ian Holloway, it's funny because... I think when before Parkinson got appointed, I think he came out on radio and actually said that he wanted to. He would. He would. I think he said he would walk to Sunderland to take the job, and a few people kind of scoffed at it. And it, I didn't. I wouldn't say I scoffed at it, but I was kind of like, "Oh, that would be a bit, you know, left of centre, shall we say?" But or left field, sorry. But when you look at Holloway's record at Blackpool, I imagine you're quite surprised that Holloway hasn't had as much sex, uh, success elsewhere because. He did a pretty good damn job at Blackpool, didn't he? He must be quite well revered down there. Um, I think the way he left the club has left uh, a lot of mm. bitter taste in the mouth of, of some fans. Yeah, the way that he always defends the Oyston family whenever he's interviewed on a on Quest by Colin Murray. That oh, does he? Sticks in the core a bit mm. of uh, most fans as well. But there's no denying that he did an absolute fantastic job as a manager. Probably the best manager in my lifetime. Uh, when I started watching Blackpool in the old Division 4 in the early 90s, uh, never did I ever dream that we'd be going to places like Newcastle and uh, Liverpool and not only going to them places, but winning. winning. I mean, I do remember I do remember you being Newcastle, I must be honest, but then you you got one on us, didn't you? Uh, like I say, later on in the season, which was probably the most mental game I've ever been to. I think it's one of those games that totally sticks in my mind that we had. I think it was, was it Richard Kingston was in goal that day? Garner's only one, yeah. It was just bizarre because I think at that time we had Darren Bent, Danny Welbeck and Asimov Jan as our forward three. Welbeck used to play on like the left. This is when we were very, very good. I think we were sixth off top at the time and there was no more dominant performance throughout the entire season. Um, and I remember you went 1-0 up totally against the run of play. I remember Darren Bent then hit the crossbar, I think, with a free kick in the 90th minute, and then you broke on us from that with your second shot on target throughout the whole game. I think it was DJ Campbell who loved scoring against us. Um, and you went 2-0 up. You, you mentioned off-air you were at that game. I mean, what are your memories of that one? Uh, I remember that as being the only good game Richard Kingston ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he was a... He was a, an intriguing goalkeeper, I think, wasn't he? He was a little bit unorthodox, I think, is the word I'm looking for. I'd, I'd say terrible. Um, <laughs> to be honest, uh, Matthew Jilks got injured, uh, I think it was around about October, with a broken kneecap. And I think if he had stayed fit, we probably would have stayed up because uh, Kingston dropped a, a lot of clangers uh, in games where we were winning. I think games away at, at Bolton and, and Blackburn spring to mind where it's 2-1 up. And he just drops absolute clangers that cost us points. Yeah, he was, but he he was he was always Garner's number one because if I remember correctly, that obviously we had like I said Jan then who was obviously Garner's number one centre forward and and Kingston was there was I remember there was one there was one particular chance I think we were running through on goal we went to just knock it past him and I can't remember who it was I think it was Darren Bent and he literally just starfished himself and he was quite a small goalkeeper but he just starfished himself kind of out of the direction of where the ball was going and it flicked off his toe. I've never seen a more impressive goalkeeping performance that I don't think he actually intended but David Vaughan also played that day and if I, if I correct myself if I'm wrong I think he got man of the match for use um, that day and I think that was where I think it was Steve Bruce that would have signed him where Steve Bruce I think looked at him at that game and brought him in and it was unfortunate for David Vaughan because he never really he never really took off at Sunderland to be honest but I was looking through your team of current 
Um, and there's one particular player that is sticking out quite a bit to me because I think we were linked to him last year and I noticed he's came back to yourself, but Ben Hennigan. So moving on to more uh, sort of recent times, which players are impressing you for Blackpool this season? Because I've heard Hennigan's doing very well. He's doing very well, but I think that he's suspended for the current the game at Sunderland on Saturday. So uh, Curtis yeah. Tilt will probably uh, come in and replace him for that game. Uh, other players that have impressed me, uh, Liam Feeney, out wide. He's been superb. I think he's got 10 assists already this season. Uh, Sully Kai Kai, very tricky uh, winger stroke, like number 10 behind the striker type player. Uh, he's kind of almost like one of them luxury players. Like uh, If you're playing well, he, he's one of them players that likes to uh, bust out the tricks, the step-overs, uh, Scored a, a fantastic free kick against uh, Fleetwood last weekend. Um, he's a very good player. Uh, and obviously, big Armand. Armand Nandule uh, scored 12 goals already this season. And uh, yeah, not only is his goals, is the way he, he links up the play, holds the ball up very, very well. And uh, yeah, Feeney and Nandule, they've played a big part this season, that combination. Probably... 70, 75% of our goals. I think Nandale was, um, for, for those who remember, I think because his name was that long, we just said the big lad up top. Um, but when he came to the stadium last season, uh, he was one of the most impressive players that came to the stadium. Like I think he, he opened the scoring, but he absolutely tortured uh, Jack Baldwin and, and Tom Flanagan. And Jack Baldwin at that time, to be honest, wasn't wasn't getting as much abuse, uh, as much stick is he ended up getting towards the end of the season and I almost feel like Nanyale sort of broke him in a way because now he's at Salford and he never really got back in the side from about April time but that was the first signs we've seen of someone really bullying Jack Baldwin who had been one of our better players up to that point um, but I think we were speaking off air and you were saying last year he was a bit of a target for the Boo Boys but so he's, he's even better this year is what you're saying uh, Like I say I didn't really watch much of last season it was only yeah. Towards the end, when the Oysters went, that started going again. But uh, from this season, he just seems absolute another level. Uh, he still gets the odd comment when I'm at home games in the uh, North Stand. Uh, a lot of fans, you know, not a fan of him. He's kind of a Marmite player, but yeah, he's got he's got the top goals for our club. He's he's got 12 goals already. Uh, he could have had a hatful more, really, of chances that he's given. But uh, yeah, I think he leads the line really well. He, he's a very big physical presence which is something that you need in League One uh, yeah I think he's a great player I think for, for this level there's not many better strikers in League One yeah tall athletic strong pacey it's kind of exactly what you need at this level isn't it and as much as it might not be pretty it does work um, it's funny I, I'm going to go back to sort of what we started on there as well about sort of the Oysters as well I didn't really think about that obviously you don't go to games and stuff like that but how do you keep up? How did you keep up with Blackpool in the games where obviously you're not going to the the home games? Did you find that fans went to more away games? Did you watch streams, or was it a case of you just disconnected as best as you could until they left the club? Because it's a strange situation, I suppose. Because obviously you love Blackpool, you want to watch them, but when you feel that strongly about something, you have to watch where. If you're getting a stream, where is the money going to? Is it because is it just the same as buying a ticket? Do you know what I mean? Like, how did you keep up with Blackpool during that period? Um. As difficult as it was, I just tried to disconnect because yeah. uh, if you watch things on the streams, that's money going towards the club. Uh, cup games, I think last year was an absolute pain in the arse because we got Arsenal uh, both in the Carabao and the FA Cup. So games that I'd love to have gone to 
couldn't go to because uh, cup games are split 50-50 with clubs. So it almost got to the point where you didn't want us to get a big club away from home because that was more money in the Oysters' pockets. Yeah. Uh, I went to the odd away game, uh, but if I'm being honest, though, over them seven years, each year that went by, you know, the, the hope was kind of like, they're never going, are they? And you just kind of lost that, not lost interest, but lost heart. It was like you couldn't see where the end was coming. You couldn't see that that white knight that was going to ride in yeah. and, and, and save the club. It was very, very difficult. And uh, it almost got to the point where you wanted the club to actively fail, where you actively wanted them to lose, to get relegated, to gates would drop, so the Oysters would lose interest and sell up. It, it was just a pretty terrible situation to be in. With fans outside of, because obviously, like I say, I went to Blackpool last season and I noticed like a lot of Sunderland fans were sort of stood talking, a lot of like my friends, a lot of our, some of our writers stood talking with, um, you know, the, the protesters and stuff like that. Did you find there was a lot of support from other clubs as well? Did you find that like they give you like almost an extra voice on top of that because they could see sort of the monstrosity that was happening and how badly managed the yeah, Blackpool were being at that time? Yeah, most most of them did, to be fair. I mean, um, I, w- I don't live in Blackpool. I live in Rotherham, but um, I went to the odd protest, like the big Judgment Day ones, and, yeah. and there was fans outside the ground from opposition clubs always very sympathetic. We'd ask them uh, to drink in the in the pubs and clubs around the ground and not actually get anything inside the ground. Yeah, I remember uh, that. We'd uh, ask, you know, we'd, we'd never never stop teams from going to support their club. We understand if they're going to a game, they're just going to a game to support their club. Yeah. We wouldn't ask fans not to go to away games. That's, that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, like I say, most fans were very, very supportive. There was only a, one club that wasn't very supportive, that had... Are you allowed to swear on this Absolutely, this absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was only uh, one club that had a, had a banner that said, hoisting uh, in, fuck your club, at a game. And uh, that was Berry. Look what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, nice bit of karma. I remember that. What What was the story with that? Why Why did they Why did they post that? I have no idea. It was just a... a it was away from home at Gig Lane. Uh I don't think there's any history between us and Berry in particular. No. I know that they're another Northwest club, but they just had a big sign that said, Oyster in, fuck your club. And uh, yeah, karma's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I do remember that, actually, because I do remember that coming to coming to, to light sort of around the time things happened with Berry. Um, and I, I've always actually, you, I've totally forgot about it. I'm pleased you mentioned it, but the fact that there was no reason behind it, it's a bit strange, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it, it did come back around on them. Unfortunately, you know, obviously no one to see a club die, but I suppose if it was, no, if she was on the other foot. I feel sorry for the fans, <laughs> yeah. for the fans that have that banner. For those ones they, in particular. enjoy their Saturday going shopping with the missus. <laughs> um, moving on to this season, we're touching it a bit and I kind of, Pulled you back in again. Apologies for that, but um, obviously the Oysters have gone. Uh, I imagine the feel around the club is a lot better. But there's a a man I mentioned in the introduction who uh, he, he's not particularly well loved at Sunderland. To be honest, he's he's gone up in the rankings of worst ever Sunderland manager since Parkinson's come in. But uh, Parkinson's come in, sorry. But with Simon Grayson, I'll tell you what. Before I ask him how he's doing at, at Blackpool, what I'm quite interested in: Did you happen to watch the Netflix documentary that uh, came out about ourselves? I did. Yeah, um, it was. I wouldn't say enjoyable viewing, but it was certainly uh, illuminating. Yeah. Quite interesting. Yeah. 
What did you make of the portrayal of Simon Grayson? Because we found that, well, I think it spelled out what he was like, didn't it? He was obviously a little bit clueless, but I'm curious as to what other clubs that have been managed by him. And at the time, obviously, you've been managed by Grayson twice. I'm kind of curious as to how you felt he came across on that. Well, looking at it from an outsider looking in, um, I don't think he was completely aware of the situation that he was walking into yeah. at Sunderland. Uh, it's very easy to make the manager a scapegoat, but I think Sunderland's problems obviously come from the very top, from the boardroom, from the way that the clubs ran day to day, and it's it's actual long term strategies. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it was a difficult hand to be dealt with, and there was a conversation that was had only a couple of weeks ago um, on this particular podcast regarding, uh, I can't remember what game it was, we played maybe Gillingham in the Cup and things haven't been great and we talked about the, the changing of manager and, and someone said, you know, as badly as we remember Simon Grayson, if we'd kept with him, would we be doing better in League Two than, than what we thought? And we obviously, we're looking at where we are on the table, we're 11th, you're fourth. Um, it's his second time at Blackpool. I know that... Grayson's a little bit more my esque, I think, from what I've gathered from Blackpool fans. But how how has he been doing on his return? Are you kind of pleased he's come back, or is there still a bit of bad ill feeling there towards him because of the way he left? Uh, with me personally, I didn't want him back uh, purely for the way that he left the club. Um, I think we were like new in the Championship, and I think it was like our second season there, and he kind of left us in the lurch like midway through the season. Uh, I can understand him leaving because Leeds is obviously his boy club, but I just think that, that the situation could have been handled better. Uh, like I say, I'm not a fan of the guy personally, but I can't argue with the results that we're having. Um, got off to a bit of a shaky start. Obviously, you've got a a new manager at the club. Um, he's inherited a lot of players that weren't his. Even that pre-season, uh, the previous manager, Terry McPhillips, brought a load of players in before Grayson came in, uh, he shipped a few of them out on loan, he's brought his own players in, and yeah, like I say, can't argue with the season that we're having, the players are gelling a little bit more now, uh, rubbed fourth, but it's, it's a very congested league, I mean, you, you can look at the league table in League One all the way down to 13th, I think where Doncaster are, Doncaster have got a few games in hand, Yeah, they win them games in hand, they can comfortably go above us, I mean, yourselves, if, if, if you beat us on Saturday, win your game in hand, you're on the same point as us. It's it's a very, very tight league. I mean, we're down at, like you say, 11. There's a couple of games in hand and I think, obviously, you think, I'll be honest, things are like horrible. It's on it at the moment. It's worst as I've ever known it and a lot of that comes from the manager and a lot of us don't feel that games in hand matter because we had the same problem last season where certain games were in hand and we drew a lot of them 1-1, uh, Blackpool being one of them. Um, but it, it is a tight league. You, you sit sort of fourth and that, to me, looks great. That looks fine. Not unexpected, though, because I know Blackpool, in my opinion, are one of the better side. They have a good spine in this league, and I think that's basically what you need. But start of the season, what would you say would be a successful season for Blackpool? What What was the aim from a fan base um, perspective? I think a lot of fans have gotten carried away that we've got new owners, and they yeah. think that everything is going to be automatically fine. We're going to be challenging up the top end of the league. Um a lot of fans think that promotion is an absolute must this season. Uh, the new owner, uh, Simon Sadler, says he wants to get out of this division within two or three years. So I think if we did do it this season, it'd, we'd be well ahead of schedule. Um, whether you like him or not, 
I think Simon Grayson's got to be in time. If we don't do it this season, I think he definitely deserves at least one more season to to build a team to to challenge at the top end of this table. Things are going well at the minute, but um, they could very easily change quickly, as is football. I don't think that there's any quality teams in this division. I know that sounds strange to say with no, Wickham sitting top of the league with only one defeat. We played Wickham a few weeks ago at home. We drew one all. Uh, I watched it on iFollow and I didn't think they were that good. I'll be, no. I'll be completely honest. Uh, we drew away at Ipswich two all a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were winning 2-1, gave away a daft penalty. That's another game that we could have won. Uh, conversely, uh, we've lost three games, uh, one of them being a Coventry and Rotherham, which is fine because they're up there. Uh, the other being a 3-0 home defeat against uh, MK Dons. So it just goes to prove that um, there's no quality teams in this division. It's about who, who performs on the day. Uh, answering your actual question, uh, top eight and you know maybe sneak in a playoff spot. I agree with you on the the lack of quality through this league and I think that's what's frustrating Sunderland fans a lot at the moment as well is that last season actually there were some good teams in it uh, Liverpool uh, Liverpool Luton even sorry were very good um, Luton did by far the best side in the league I thought Barnsley were probably the most attractive and played the best uh, probably yeah. played the best football um, unfortunate for them not only have they lost the manager, but they lost basically all their players as well. They lost the entire spine of the team and more. So it's no surprise to see them struggling, but very good side, very good to watch. Um, but then you had Portsmouth, who if it wasn't for their drop in, I think, sort of December time, I think they would have probably probably walked the league as well. And I thought we were good last season as well. And I think Charlton obviously were very, very good. I felt like last season there was a clear top five, top six with Doncaster in sixth who had a, a clear nucleus of good players throughout those top six teams and a good spine. Whereas this season, no offence to any Wickham fans listening, well, actually, I don't care. Um, but <laughs> I don't think Wickham are, I don't think Wickham are anything to write home about. I mean, when we got linked to Gareth Ainsworth as manager, I was about as enthused as I was when I found out we were linked to Phil Parkinson. So to me, if there's a manager top the league, I should be wanting that person. But it was based on the style of football and the fact that I just thought... You know, I mean, I love Sam Allardyce. I'm no football purist, but like Wickham's football is just standard. It just they're not a team where I watch them and go, "I wish Sunderland would play at that." And I did that with Barnsley last year. I did that with Luton. It does feel like it's much of a muchness, and there's nobody in this league that really wants to grab it by the balls and really take the league forward. It seems um, Ipswich have faltered a little bit recently as well, haven't they? Um, and then I, I like Peterborough. I like. I think they're a good side, but I think they they're starting to dip a little bit again as well, aren't they? They they seem to love a little dip in form. So, I mean, I'll sort of maybe switch the question back on um, onto you about Sunderland. Um, are you surprised by how much Sunderland have struggled? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's the constant chopping and changing of managers, getting that cohesive style. Um, obviously, you got new managers. You might like other players. You might not fancy others and it's it's very difficult. I mean, I think a lot of traps that we get caught in in football is you look at a team's name and automatically assume, oh, they should be up there. If you look at this league, Sunderland definitely, you know, on history, fans support that they should be at least in the top six. I mean, they're one of the biggest clubs in this division, if not the biggest club. Um, I'd, I'd put Portsmouth and, and possibly Coventry into that mix as well. Unfortunately, it doesn't go off fan support or else uh, 
Bournemouth certainly wouldn't be in the Premier League, would they? So yeah. it's very, very difficult to say. Um, I don't think the squad's changed much from last season, has it? We've we've lost quite a bit, truth be told. Catamold gone, um Honeyman obviously the captain's gone and I think I think people are starting to realise how much of a miss he is. Ov- Oviedo's mm. gone as well, but I suppose with, with Oviedo, to be honest, as as good as he was and as he's definitely championship level at the very least. I mean I think he, he went to Copenhagen, uh, Copenhagen who were playing obviously Champions League football, I think, or at least were yeah. qualifiers, but he didn't really play that much. It was more Reese James, who's at Doncaster now, who is a solid like uh, League One left back. It, it it's changed enough, especially with with McGeady going out of the team as well. I think probably what most fans listening to this are thinking is that we needed a couple of more additions on top, and we've probably taken more of the better players away. Uh, the defence needed improving, and we've signed Jordan Willis, who up until recently has been okay, but there's, we're still missing a lot of pace and power in the middle. I think with the players that have gone. If we'd signed someone with pace and power in the middle and someone who can actually split a defence, we probably wouldn't have noticed it that much. But the recruitment's pretty poor, yeah. Um, What's your opinion of uh, McGeady being left out of the team at the minute? Oh, McGeady being left out of the team. Well, obviously, I don't think he's going to pull on a red and white shirt again. And there's many, many rumours flying about, which I'll be honest, I don't know what is true. All we've been told at the time of speaking is that there has been a incident in training or in the dressing room or something to that extent. Um I'm probably slightly different as some Sunderland fans. I think he has been quite poor this season, but I think, you know, under Jack Ross, he was by far the best player. Um, and I think with Jack Ross going, I was never really on his side, but the the more that Parkinson fails, the more I'm starting to think that maybe he was a miracle worker because ever since Parkinson's came in, McGeady has looked just worse and worse and worse. Um, so I kind of understand him being out of the team, but my opinion would be you've got to be a better manager than that. If the kid's got a an attitude problem if there's something not quite right in the training ground you don't just ship him out and get rid of your best player you, you try and work out how you can get the best from him and keep the harmony in the team but I think I might be alone in that opinion um, have you had any similar situations with, with Blackpool where you've had a player that's maybe particularly unsettling in the dressing room oh, if you haven't what would your opinion be on the McGee situation what would you do if you were, if you were Sunderland's manager um as for us, I wouldn't know over the last seven years <laughs> uh, honestly over the last seven years if I sat next to a Blackpool player on the bus, I probably wouldn't recognise him. So, <laughs> um, as for yourselves, it's a very difficult one. Obviously, the league position for yourselves isn't great at the minute. Um, McGeady's attitude might be in question, but if he's a player that can help you drag you up the league table, then you'd want to at least have him on the bench and, you know, go on, you want to move, play for your move, uh, put yourself in the shop window, that kind of thing. I yeah. don't know. To, to me, again, it just comes down to management. I think there's, there's certain characters and certain people that do well at Sunderland. Um, Allardyce, Peter Reid, Roy Keane. And not all of them have done well elsewhere. Allardyce maybe been the exception to the rule. Peter Reid didn't really do too much after us. Um, obviously, he went to clubs that had a lot of problems, to be fair to him. Um, Roy Keane hasn't done a great deal. Um, didn't do that well with Ipswich. But there was a character and a personality and there was expectations and there was um, standards. Um, I find with people like Grayson and people like Parkinson, this kind of like the club is almost too big for them. And it's almost like Aidan McGeady's too big for Phil Parkinson in a sense. But then again, I don't know the ins and outs. So it's kind of, 
without knowing the full details of why he's been placed on the transfer list and just surmising, I suppose maybe I shouldn't comment, but I suppose you're going to comment, mm. aren't you? As a Sunderland fan that unfortunately podcasts and writes about it on a weekly basis, I have to do that. But um, with you spoke off air and said, you know, expressing plays, he's bound to score against us, but now we know that he's not playing. Is there any particular Sunderland players that, that do concern you? And everyone else recently has said no one, so feel free to say that because that, that's probably accurate. Maguire's he scored a few goals this season. Um, Good player on his day. Another one that was yeah, allegedly yeah, in the McGeady mould of um, eating too much McDonald's, allegedly. But I wouldn't know. <laughs> I think I think that players should be allowed one cheat day a week. Yeah, I do. I I fully I I, I don't. And I speak on my own here. I, I didn't have a problem with McGeady and uh, Maguire having the McDonald's. No issue with it. Couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, apart from that, is it White? Charlie White's just came back and I was at Gillingham on Saturday and Charlie White did I think he's a Parkinson player um, long ball big guy and we did look a little bit better when Charlie White came on he did actually score got disallowed for some reason I think because Luke O'Nine was trying to hug their goalkeeper or something I didn't I didn't see it we didn't deserve to win so I'm not going to argue about it um, but yeah Ch- Charlie White will probably be back on Saturday yeah um, like you say big physical presence and uh they're the type of players that usually cause us problems. Um, players like Ian Anderson at Rochdale, uh, Akin Fenra. Uh, I know he's not tall, but he's an absolute unit. Uh, Akin Fenra at the uh, Wickham. So, yeah, I think White could cause us a few problems, possibly. Especially with Hennigan being out and uh, probably Curtis Till um, coming back in from the cold after a, a bit of a time on the bench. Hennessy not being fit's a huge thing. I didn't actually realize uh, not playing suspended. Sorry, is a huge thing. I didn't actually realize that was the case because Hennigan was a player. I think he was at was it Sheffield United and Motherwell before he came to Blackpool. Yeah, Sheffield United is currently at loan uh, until I think middle of January. I hope that we can get him signed because uh, for me he's he's been absolutely superb this season. Yeah, at this level he's a very good player, um, and I think he was someone that. We were allegedly really close to signing uh, last season. I don't know really what happened with that, and I don't know if we ever will, but obviously he's, he's doing better than Sunderland at the moment, so I'm sure he's not crying about it. Um, are you coming up on Saturday? I am, yeah. I'll be getting the train, uh, changing it Newcastle, and then getting the Metro. The Metro, the good old Metro. Don't expect it to be on time. Uh, <laughs> it never, ever is. So what are your predictions? Just to kind of end on that, I'll I'll let you give yours first, and I'll tell you mine. Um, I was very, very worried because uh, obviously McGeady being expressed and <laughs> he's bound to score against this now that he's not playing. I'm a little bit more confident, but we're one of these clubs that if you're having a bad season, if you're having a, an absolute nightmare, bad time of things, don't worry, Blackpool FC are back. We're going to uh, kickstart <laughs> your season. But uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I'm going to go with a score draw. I think it'll be one all. Yeah, I think I'm going to take the same. I think I think we'll actually manage to get a result this week. Um, on probably an unpopular opinion, most people think we're going to get stuffed. But I think yeah, I think I'll, I think it'll be a one-one. Probably a result that Phil Parkinson will take because he said he would snap your hands off for a draw Gillingham last week. So Parkinson will probably take the one-one at home to Blackpool as well. Um, but Joe, thanks very much for for joining us, mate. Enjoy your Saturday. Um, it's a depressing place at the moment, but it's a good place. Enjoy the rest of your, your week, bud. Uh, enjoy Saturday, and thanks for coming on. No worries, and uh, after Saturday, all the best for the rest of the season. Fellas. Indeed. <laughs> right back at you, bud. Thanks very much.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 